Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is Lord Ward from the Australian Bureau logging in. This is Maud Marty from the Canadian Bureau logging in. Welcome to the latest episode of the Internationalist Club. This is Tim Sparrow, aka T Spurs, logging in from TMSC headquarters here in London. Welcome to the new episode of the Internationalist Club. It's me, Tim Sparrier, a.k.a. T-Spurs, here in London. I'm joined by my uh, two friends, uh, the Lord Ward in Brisbane. Good morning from Brisbane. Oh, and Mod Marty in uh, this deepest, darkest, coldest cellar in Winnipeg in Canada. Good afternoon from Canada. And for the first time, for the first time, we are joined by a guest. Yes, a little round of applause. Yeah. 
first, not the first time KP's had the clap. Anyway, <laughs> we are joined by the head of uh, the Face Radio Station. And as we all got nicknames here, uh, we're going to call him. Can I just be King Curtis for the day? If we're all mods here, like you might as well take King Curtis and Lord Ward and, and Mod Marty and T-Spurs mm. all in one. But based on Tim's Hello. first remark, I think Kinky Curtis is more in line. Oh, uh, boy. <laughs> You're going to have to serve me a few more drinks before no, I become Kinky Curtis. There we go. <laughs> Let's not go that too early, guys. <laughs> Curtis, where are you right now? Because I know normally you're in New York. Where are you? I am in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Ooh, whoa. Traveled. And as as we're going to say, we're in four time zones for the first time, chaps. I'm here in London. We've got Brisbane. We've got uh, Canada. And we've got Virginia Beach. Wow. As we normally start off, we're going to talk talk about the news. Any news, gentlemen? We'll come to you, Curtis, last because, you know, you're just a guest and everything. But um, I'm going to go with Marty. Marty, any news um, from that there, Canon editor? Uh, well, uh, you know what? You got me off guard this time around. Biggest news is we just finished Hanukkah, so that was like the thing that's been taking up the majority of my time. Did I you did I take your news? <laughs> well, that's you and I. Have we have we said many a time we're two Jews on the news here? Um, so we finished, finished yeah. Hanukkah. Well, you know we can we can just sneak into Christmas a little bit later. I'm going to go down down under to the Lord down, Ward. down under, mate. News, I think probably six months ago, we made a considered effort. Blow Up kind of expanded its horizons a little bit. It was very like 60s-based mod music. We have we wanted to expand our horizons a bit, and we did about six months ago. We did make a big song or dance about it, but just, yeah, we incorporated Britpop and some power pop and new wave and stuff that kind of interested us um, as a group. And we weren't quite sure how it would go because there's a lot the Brisbane mod fraternity. There's there's some very trad mods, that, and there was a bit of argy bargy about us pulling away from that. But so we're on the face, and we adore and love being on the face. We're also on a local radio station in Brisbane. The Brisbane listen numbers have gone up since we've kind of gone down that track. So and there's a lot more engagement. So you know we we feel slightly justified and happy about that. You know we want everybody to listen, but to us modernism encapsulates a lot more than just those brief few years in the 60s, right? Absolutely. Yeah. That's yeah. why we're going on to Britpop today, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I also think that maybe we'll come into some of this conversation is that there's a lot of jump off places for different people that got into mod, like traditional mod, that found their way through the gateways of things like we're talking about today. Curtis, what have you got any news recently? <laughs> Everything and nothing. Um, I took the Lambretta out on Virginia Beach uh, on on Saturday, and the sun was out, and uh, I only had to wear a light jacket. It was pretty nice. So, uh, nice. other than that, um, no real news. King Curtis kindly pointed out to me. I had my three-year anniversary with the Face Radio last week on my soul side. And I've come out to show 150, which I'm kind of feeling my age at this point, which is all great. I've I've felt your age for a long time, mate. (laughs) (laughs) I'm at uh, 450. Woohoo! You're just showing off now, Marty. (laughs) So, yeah, I just wanted to congratulate you on the 150, mate. And the, um, the one and a half shows of yours I've listened to have been immense. 
Well, thank you. <laughs> I think, I think yes. Well, obviously, since the Britpop came into your show, I've been, you know, avoiding like the plague, but it comes into my ears occasionally and I'm finding it invigorating. I think the word is invigorating. And of course, you know, um, Curtis does his show that he stole the title off mine, which kind of goes towards no, Britpop angle or things too. Enough of this face radio shenanigans. Well, do you know what? You know, after doing the show that I've done for like the last 10 years now, I, I, um, many people, yeah, I know many people knew me originally as the guy that was like into indie rock and, and Britpop and, and stuff like that. And it was nice to, but I also didn't want to follow that same trajectory with what I was doing. Like I just continue to box myself in because I do it all the time. I box myself into these things that I can't then get out of. And I felt like me and my belief in modernism is modernism. Like, and I will always look for new music that has something interesting to say to an interesting detail and interesting look and interesting sound. Even if it's, you know, I'm never going to say it's a mod sound or whatever. It's just... I'm going to keep digging for for new music because I don't want to become an old man mm. that decides that I don't like music that wasn't made bef- after a certain year. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Lord Ward. Yeah, just on that, and congratulations, mate. The the Stone Foundation special was just oh, spot God. on, yeah. mate. And and to me, that band all, almost defines modernism. They're just off doing their own thing, but that's what it's all about, right? They the traditional mods probably go, yeah, that's not not really what we're into, but. To me, they are at the forefront of it. And when we, before we get onto our main subject, which is Britpop, I'm going to go to a much more important place, and that is the weather. So the weather here in um, the UK is very British. I'll put it into quotes. It's damp and cold and horrible and not very pleasant at all. We're going to go to uh, Brisbane, where it's spring, summer. No, it's summer, mate, and it sucks to be you three. It really does. <laughs> It's 30, well, it's actually 30 degrees now. It's what, seven o'clock in the morning? Happy days. It is, isn't it? Although I've been hearing, although we'll get on to Marty and his weirdness that is Canada and Winnipeg in particular, weather wise. But I, I've seen on the news that Cairns, which is a few hundred miles north of you or more, is pretty much like biblical at the moment. Well, Cairns is a 24 hour, people don't, people underestimate the size of Australia, right? Cairns is 24 hours driving north that's how far kansas it's it's another country right but yeah they've they've been copying it we we get cyclones and occasionally generally they go up north occasionally we get one down south but brisbane as usual scorchio of course scorchio. it is um, let's go to canada and see which which biblical prophecy is coming, <laughs> coming forth in canada well, well i'll tell you i'll tell you what's happening in canada right now and that's climate change it's terrifyingly warm here it's Oof. minus 10 it should be about minus 30 <laughs> terrifyingly <laughs> terrifyingly warm at minus 10 you've got like no snow and this ne- never happens it's it's weird this time of year should be about minus 20 or so but just the last couple of days have we dipped down below zero we're talking celsius here Chris. Yeah. so <laughs> it's 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 19 celsius here today so oh, yeah man. yeah see and I mean, we're on the same continent, and yet, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, also quite far. Also, more than a twenty-four hour drive from each other. I'm sure. Absolutely right, guys. Let's move on to our main subject, which this uh, episode is Britpop. So we've done the beginnings of mod, the heydays of sixties, the mod revival, and it kind of felt a leap, but not a too much of a leap to go to Britpop. What are you guys thinking about the idea of modernism and Britpop? Discuss. 
I'll um, if I can, I'll kick it off. So I was in the UK when Britpop came out, and there was just a strut in the step of the UK when that came out, just musically and from an attitude point of view. Even politics, there was a bit of a, a strut in the step. It was a wonderful time. There was so much good music, and like none of us around in the sixties when the original mod stuff came out, right? So I could only imagine that's how it was in the sixties. But it, it was it was redone in in the nineties. I loved it. It was such a good time. Everybody was strutting around, feeling good, digging music. It just reminds me the Verve, you know, in that in there that iconic clip where he's walking down the street, but he's strutting. The whole of England was doing that, man. It was awesome. Yeah, absolutely, guys. Yeah, you know, I found my way into, I'd say, mod and Britpop through a combination of kind of two different pathways that, you know, one was punk that led me into that. You know, in those years prior to prior to Britpop, I was already listening to punk and, and hardcore bands and, and stuff like that. But I was also really, really into design and cinema. And so I feel like there was like this really interesting juxtaposition that was happening in Britpop where there was like this aspirational look, uh, almost to, you know, what, what the Lord Ward was just saying. Like there was like this coolness that was unmatched at the time because living in the States, despite having family in England and Ireland that, you know, I had access to the music, but in the States, everything was grim. You know, everyone was just wearing like flannels and baggy trousers and, and, and things like that. And almost the aspirational look and the fact that these were like, a lot of them were art school kids. A lot of them were almost that kind of quintessential crossover from punk that I think that they were trying to intellectualize Britpop whilst, you know, bringing in elements of cinema and design. And, and for me, it was where all points collided. And I was like, this is my thing, man. Absolutely. And I think, interesting, I was reading some stuff. I do do a various piece of research. And Damon Albarn had gone for a tour, I think, in America and was not that enthused about the grunge stuff that was going over, um, over there, decided to smarten things up and make them very British and make them Britpop. And that kind of says modernism to me. Marty, what have you got to say? Well, I was, it's the same sort of thing for me because I was living two hours north of Seattle at the time when grunge was going insane everywhere. And it was really repellent to me. How, but I was in art school and I was trying to live that mod life, you know, through that. And I went to, uh, there was a band in 89 that came to Vancouver in a small venue, a sit down venue. In fact, we we're sitting on the floor and they were called the stone roses and they hadn't put out an album yet. And so they had these like posters all over the place, these enormous posters with this Jackson Pollock style art on it with the orange wedge and the painting in behind. And, and I, it just spoke to me right away. They hooked me on the whole scene because they touched on uh, psychedelia. They touched on the classic rock sound, but they also, they, they had a little bit of funk in them. And it was like, it was everything I loved all wrapped up in something brand new, something yeah. modern. Oh man, they had everything. Mm -hmm. Oh man. And we'll come back to the stone raises in a sec, but first I want to talk to the Lord board. I just want to do, uh, before we go too much further in the show, just to acknowledge KP's been on the show for five minutes. He's used the word juxtaposition. He's raised the bar from Ooh. three <laughs> nonsensical episodes. Yeah, if from one yeah. sentence, the bar has been raised. So, yeah. So, I'm going to get my, we're going to get our thesauruses out and uh, <laughs> sound vaguely, you know, um, intellectual. I can't even say the word intellectual. 
Well, I would like to just to just jump off that juxtaposition uh, of the stone roses and and really like when 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 we started this conversation with for me personally the definition of modernism was always to push things forward right and to have wonderful influences and things like that that kind of breed the foundational ground of of what it is but to say we're not trying to sound like our parents music and you know you think about like even going back way early with the Pete Meaden story where he was digging into music that at the time he was like he was buzzed by everything that was happening in London at the time that didn't sound like his parents music and so fast forward to 1989-1990 with the Stone Roses and Marty nailed it I think this is one of the beautiful mm-hmm. things and and very incredibly modern things is that the modernism of Britpop was so incredibly visual while still adhering to the ideas. And, and I read that same thing that, Tim, you mentioned about Blur, where when they were working on Leisure, the album, the labels poo-pooed on that record at first because they were like, you know, grunge was big and they didn't like how English and how pop they were at the time. But they said, no, we're doing this. We're doing this. And sure enough, you know, a year later, Blur exploded. But the visuals and the style and everything about the way that Britpop came out from its inception was, in my opinion, so completely modernist. Agreed. We like throwing a few dates around. And Mm. really, Britpop doesn't start until about, officially start until about 92, 93. So 92, really, we're looking at suede and then blur. But Mm. I want to take that step back as Marty brought this one in, which is the Stone Roses. So at the time, late 80s, early 90s, I've gone to Manchester because it was just a really interesting place to be. And I was going to the Hacienda and listening to all that music, you know, refer to that the Style Council album, kind of modernism, a new decade, which has got all that mm. acid stuff in it. I'm really love it. That. And I'm up there and then the, the Stone Roses pop out, 1989, 88, 89. And for me, that was like, wow, this is amazing. It, not that they were obviously mod. Because as I've said on previous episodes, they're wearing flares and they're wearing the caps and, you know, they're wearing a bucket hat, Curtis. They really are wearing those stupid bucket hats. Back then, though. Like at the beginning, they weren't really. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, because certainly the first few, un- certainly unreleased stuff was much more moddy, much more moddy. So as we're a program that plays the odd track, and I know officially, officially it's not really Britpop, but for me, the beginning of Britpop is fool's gold yeah me, oh. like held on just held on to me would you guys agree to me absolutely 100 percent agree with that it's so we're gonna we're gonna play that one out i'm just gonna say why not why not
Oh man, funk! It's the it's that funk flavor, man. It gets just gets under my skin. I can play that out anytime, anytime. Matt, what do you reckon? Whether it was a style of Britpop, I don't know, but wow, what a tune, what a band. But they're, they're almost in England, they were two separate, they felt like two separate things, the baggy scene, and then it sort of came into the Britpop thing. They were, so the baggy thing was very dancey. I think the Britpop was yeah. very jangly guitar. There was a, a musical difference there, but from a punter or a DJ, I mean, yeah, I encapsulate both of them. I love them. Absolutely. And interestingly, at the same time, the Lars are doing There She Goes pretty much around the same time. And you've got Liverpool and Manchester again kicking it off. Mm. One very moddy sound and one kind of funky, dancey sound that are very different. Yeah. Um, just just kind of, I, I would say, easing into Britpop, wouldn't you say, Matt? Uh, yes, 100%, mate. Also in the UK, there's very much a north-south kind of thing, and, and that's emanated in the sound. So that baggy thing was a Manchester and a Liverpool kind of thing, which gravitated downwards, and, and the Britpoppy thing sort of gravitated upwards, and it kind of merged in the middle, I reckon. Absolutely. And we, we heard that last episode, remember, about the north and south mods, right? The baggy yeah. and the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Marty. And this is also, uh, there's two points. I wanted to just go back to one point that Curtis made about uh, imagery and everything. I felt as though the way that Britpop was being advertised to the world had the mod flavor to it. Often wearing Fred Perry's, often, you know, like, I mean, Damon Albarn's look was, as he called it, module, which was mod casual. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that was something that he came up with. The second thing I wanted to say is that there's also this divide between Britpop and Madchester, which is also sort of happening around the same time, right? The sort of uh, house, there are a couple of these bands, some of these bands stood on the precipice between the house scene and the Britpop scene. Totally, yeah. And you've got that real interesting difference. What do you say, guys? I actually think that that's, I would say that that's one thing that would have separated it uh, traditionally from the mods is that, and, and yes, I'm going to be that, that tiny naysayer, is that it was incredibly inclusive. It was more about like the overall, like, yeah, I feel like the look was still everything. But like when we, when we look at the jump off points of both, even like your traditional mod, your Northern Soul, there was that element that mods were into Northern Soul and that there was a dance culture involved in Northern Soul. And I, and I actually do think that, you know, the Stone Roses then spawned even the bigger bands at that time, like EMF and Jesus Jones and, and those yeah, ones that went yeah, off quite, exactly. you know, um, a, a lot more mainstream. But I feel like the inclusion to me is what you'll hear me. I'll continue to say the word modernist is that the inclusion of those elements is, is what made it so modern and what made it so fresh and new and yet still rooted in something that we could all have been proud of at the time. You know what I mean? It was necessary for mod to continue on. Like inclusivity had to be something that was there so that people who felt like they couldn't put their foot into the mod world were welcome to do so, right? And to do so in in whichever way they wanted to, because at the same time, acid jazz is also something that's happening, totally, and and, and very important to the to the whole mod thing too. So there's the all these things that we're like it's an exciting time because we've got all these things to take from. Absolutely, and we'll definitely do a whole episode on acid jazz. Definitely, oh yeah, that's something absolutely. Lord Ward. Mind you, I think if you remember any years of acid jazz, you actually weren't there. No. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, I just want to come back to something I think you were saying, Mai. So the, the all-inclusivity thing. So I think Britpop was unique as in the inclusivity included politics. So New Labour was almost like 
part of the Britpop thing, which has never been done, I don't think, in, in popular culture before, where politicians have aligned themselves. You think of the punk thing, it was dead opposite that, right? Anarchy in the UK, God Save the Queen, et cetera, et cetera. Britpop actually latched onto the new Labour and vice versa. And yeah. you would see, you'd see, uh, I think Gallagher used to hang around with Tony Blair. and, and Tony Blair, yeah. Yeah, I don't think P-Dub did. I think he was burnt with the Red Wedge thing in the sort of Star Council days. But the, yeah, I've never seen that before and never seen it again. I don't think we will. It's It, it was quite unique. It was very unique. And when, when, when you're in the middle of it, it seemed very odd place to be. Like a re- it like felt like the whole UK or the Brit thing was being completely marketed. Oh, it was, but we were all aligned as well. I don't know. I did. I don't know. I went along with it. Maybe I was naive. But oh no, me too. Me too. It felt like the whole country for a change was aligned. Politicians, the youth, everybody was kind of aligned. It was. I think that was the the lovely thing about it, the positivity thing. Considering what it came off the back of, you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> We need to do some more music. Uh, and I'm going to go to Mob Marty, actually, because well, I spoke about the Lars earlier and how that changed things off. And one of your choices is Cast, I believe. He is Cast, yeah. Uh, yeah. Or Cost, as you say. Um, <laughs> that, that whole album, their first album, which I think was self-titled, wasn't it? They're just mm-hmm. called Cast. I absolutely, it absolutely drew me in and it felt so mod to me. It would, they weren't like dress up mods. They were more casual, but they just had that look and feel and their logo, much like ocean color scenes logo had a little bit of a hint to them, to the target too. But the song that I chose is all right. The, the whole album just, it was a, one of those ones that was constantly in my CD player. Well, let's, let's hear it. Let's hear that one right now. Say, or is the more than we can know, and it's 
That is, I mean, I, I remember buying that CD straight off and was, that has got mod written all over it. And it's interesting you said something earlier, which is none of this was in your face mod. It was just little nods, nods to yeah. mods. As yeah, it nods were. to oh, mods. I like that. Yeah. I'm writing that title down, nods to mods. What you got to say for yourself, Curtis? Well, you know, the thing that I always kind of liked about this one, for me, it had elements of the faces. I would say more than any other band from that era, I would say that more of it was drawn from the faces and, you know, and anything that was kind of Rod Stewart related and, and things like that, like the sound of it, the guitar sound, everything about it, it was just, I would say that this album stood on its absolute own, more different than Ocean Color Scene, more different than anyone else at that time. And so great choice. And it would have been one of my choices yeah. for today as well. Thanks. Absolutely. And, and dear listener, the three regulars on the show picked their track. So Paul Curtis couldn't have cast, couldn't have. But it was hard. Like it was hard for me to choose because this was a really important part of me becoming more of a mod, right? Like I was into scooters. I was into two-tone. I was into all that stuff. But Britpop took me over the edge and took me into the mod world. And and so it was, there was a lot to choose from. So if we're talking 92, 93, when it really starts kicking off, I'm going to turn to you, the law board, because mm-hmm. one of your choices is where really, for me, where it really, oh, I know we're talking about suede and things, although I was a little on the fence on suede. I quite like suede, but for me, it was blur, mm-hmm. right? Always blur, modern life is rubbish, etc. And you've chosen a blur track. You, you're a big fan of blur, having seen them live this year. Yeah, I've, I've always been uh, I've always been an admirer of Blur, but never a massive fan. Saw them live, completely changed, and like, wow, they're just just what a charismatic, authentic bunch of people. Absolutely adored it. But my favorite track is always "There's No Other Way," which was there. It was the track that announced Blur to the world. I think uh, "She's So High" was the first single, which sort of did okay. But uh, I actually remember driving, uh, bizarrely driving in my brother-in-law's VW camper. This came on Radio 2 or 1, whatever it was at the time, and just blew me away. This was 1991. And, yeah, it was just uh, – I think it, it did quite well commercially. I think it was number 10 or 6 or something in the UK charts. But, uh, wow, what a track.
I've seen Blur live eight times. Wow. I've never seen Blur. I've never seen Blur. Yeah, because Matt was instant with your mm. choices. And then I was like, damn, of course I would have picked Blur, right? But And I think we're yeah. all yeah. in that boat, right? I thought the same thing. You know, well, first of all, this song in particular, you know, going back to that dance element as well, that song is such a danceable tune while still jingle jangle right and i think that's what makes it amazing i I didn't get a chance to see blur until originally until 99 Mm -hmm. uh in new york city and when they did tender they had the harlem boys choir singing with them and it was like it was like a tingly like yeah Yeah. like you had you felt it and ironically there martin uh (laughs) martin mod um I've seen them eight times as well. Oh, Thank you very much. Look at that. That's, I mean, just goes to show how important Blur is to months. Absolutely. Well, I always liked Blur early on. Like, is it, um, is it Villa Rosa and stuff like that from uh, the early albums? Is it Leisure? Really, really good stuff. Interestingly, when we've spoken about the kind of how mod expanded um, and what we could call mod, and there's an argument that some of that dance music, as we go back to the Star Council album, came from or mod could easily embrace that as it did early on with jazz and blues and all those other things i would agree that blur started to pick all those things together and it had dance and it had blues and it had jazz and it had all sorts of things going on look yeah. what damon albarn did with the gorillas i mean he was obviously influenced by so much stuff you know and it brought it all together and it was definitely a part of what blur was producing and writing and recording but he obviously even wanted to go bigger and wider and that's where the gorillas came from which i'm also a massive fan of oh absolutely yeah yeah i love the story that you know it's there the the song yeah yeah so apparently it was called it's there it's there yeah but he couldn't pronounce it, it. Sean pronounce pronounce it. it. <laughs> it's there so they just changed the name of the words i, I think that's it's, a fantastic and just so amazing um i want to go on to king curtis king kurt and your first pick See, what we do with the guests is we test them out, right? We, we pick the easy stuff, the obvious stuff, and we say, go, <laughs> go in there, dig deep. Where did you dig deep? Well, you know, what's interesting is, you know, I was always going to attempt to dig deep, and I did get beaten to the, to the cast. The cast was going to be one. Interestingly enough, even Supergrass, I would, so going even back to what I was saying about cast, I believe that Supergrass had those elements that were very Rolling Stones, Faces, occasionally David Bowie-ish, et cetera, et cetera. But my first choice was a slightly off one a little bit. I'm going to start with menswear. Um, oh, and I was going to choose menswear too. <laughs> and, and menswear is, a, is an interesting one because menswear, I, I remember right around the year 1994, I think it was 94, 95, that they were within a, a short three month period, they were destined to be the next massive, massive band. Yeah. Um, they looked the bollocks. Like, if, if anything, they probably looked better than everything else about them. They looked great. They were a bit, they were a bit glam. They were really young. They were really, really young. Yeah. They were really young. They were a bit glam. Um, but the music was fantastic. And the album Nuisance, when I first heard it, I heard this song that had a lot of strings in it. And it's not the song that I've chosen. But I've chosen this song called Hollywood Girl. And the reason that I liked Hollywood Girl is this song really, really encapsulates for me where the mod revival sound came into Britpop. 
this song, I would say that this was a very produced mod revivals tune and so incredibly English from just the way that it's delivered and vocals and everything else. But also going back to, you know, when we talk about a little bit of like cinema and literature and, and stuff like that, is that this song yeah. clearly was written about Audrey Hepburn, Hollywood Girl on a Fire Escape. This is totally, in my opinion, they drop references to Breakfast at Tiffany's. There's so many other things in it. Let's, let's hear that. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. an Audrey Hepburn reference ever <laughs> in the whole world. Oh, so, oh my word. 
Great choice there, guys. Well, you know, I, I just want to double down on one one other point about that is that going back to like the aspirational and almost kind of uh, as a creative, the, the idea that, you know, when you were living not anywhere near London at that time, it, it just painted this picture of like this like fantasy in your head of, of being such a cooler person than you actually were. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And, and, and that to me was what it, that's being a mod. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? It's just, and, and feeling like you knew things because you learned things from the music. And, and I dug so much deeper into almost every Hepburn film around that time. I remember I had this book that was like an, a fiction that was written about Audrey Hepburn around the time. And again, it was just like the whole cinema thing that I, I just felt like I had just learned something that was so much cooler than every other kid that I knew at the time. We're going to dip on a little bit further, but Lord Ward. I just went up with 37 minutes, 48 seconds into this, and no one's mentioned the O word as yet. This is a I was just going there. I was literally just going there, the law board, because that's, that's my next choice. I'm going for the O word. <laughs> Boom. Okay, you're going you're gonna to divide the room? You ready to divide the room? The parting of the seas. Um, the O word. Of course, Oasis. Of course, the Gallagher's. Um, <sighs> I, uh, I remember queuing up for the first album and then queuing up for the second album. No, I didn't queue up for the first album because it wasn't a big thing when it came out straight away. But I definitely queued up for um, What's the Story, Morning, Morning Glory. It was released at midnight and we all queued outside the record shop when they actually were on every high street. For me, the climax of Britpop's when Blur are at their greatest and Oasis are at their greatest. But what I like about Oasis is they kick against completely what Blur are doing. Blur are super smooth, technically brilliant, kind of arty side of things. Mob Mighty's definitely disagree with me, but wait, (laughs) wait, stand down, soldier. Um, That Oasis were, I'm going to go Beatles versus Stones, right? That's where I'm going to say. They're they're kind of, Oasis are more kind of dirty. What? Where you go, where oh you go with ironic, ironic, because <laughs> the reason why I can't deal with Oasis, like I did really enjoy the first album and I enjoyed the second album, but throughout the entire thing, I was like, they're so derivative of the Beatles that it, it's uncomfortable for me to listen to. There's like lyrics that are so straight up like references to the Beatles or taken from Beatles songs. There are guitar licks and stuff. I mean, they were so obviously inspired by John Lennon and the Beatles. That, there was that T-Rex bite. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and to me, it was derivative. It was just like regurgitating. Or But then they backed that up with this ridiculously obnoxious attitudes that like were just gross to watch. Like if they went up on stage in the way that Liam sang with his hands behind his back and the mic up high. So he's always looking down his nose at the audience and like, Oh, I loved it. (laughs) It's disgusting. (laughs) Like I could not, I could not fathom it. And and then I watched this documentary called don't look back in anger where it was an entire buildup of Oasis and a complete put down and belittlement of blur in such a dirty way that I was just from there on, I was like, I cannot stomach Oasis. Okay, mm. man. Oh, right. And no, I'm going to say this. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen a Canadian that angry, but anyway, <laughs> um, the law board. Uh, yeah. I was going to comment on that as well. Oh. <laughs> It's no. Oasis. They get my blood boiling. Breathe, man. Just breathe. <laughs> In, out. Calm down. Um, just derivative. Look, I, I understand what you're saying, but but 
the start, the jam? I mean, it, it isn't that yeah. as derivative of the Beatles you, you're ever going to get? By. Oh, man. Oh, come on. A I'm a massive fan, but that that's Taxman, right? However, I will go. I'm, I will I'm, go. Gonna be, I'm just going to be Switzerland here really fast. Is that I, I, I see both sides in, in it. Uh, to me, I felt like, you know, Blur were always more interesting, more like like taking it forward. But at the same time, yeah, I'll be honest with you. At that time, there was nothing cooler than Liam. His style was just unmatched. And I think that there's a reason that the world loved them. And yeah, so I'm actually completely Switzerland on this one. So. I can agree with that to a point. I think um, two albums and they're done for me. So I'm going to play She's Electric because I think it's a great track, right? She's Electric is a great track. Derivative or not, Mr. <laughs> Mob Marty. Well, this particular track, this particular track is actually quite good. I do have a handful of favorites. <laughs>
That's a fun song. I, th- I, I think, yeah, I can get the looking down the nose thing. They were just a fun band, really. They weren't particularly intellectual, you know. <laughs> Lord Ward, help us out. I think you nailed it there, Tim. I, yeah, we sometimes take music a bit too seriously, and I don't think they were, they were just four lads just having a laugh, and then yeah. suddenly they're going, oh, hang on, this is this has got something. This works. I'm yeah. yeah. Rolls Royce all of a sudden. Yeah, they make mistakes all over the place, right? Yeah, I mean, good on them. There's not a single other band that I can think of that I feel so strongly about no. it in, in mm. a negative way. I honestly, I don't know what it is. It's just, it's just uh, something about them and yeah. everybody loves them. And I just, well, I don't love them. them. They're all right. I think they probably regret the Gary Glitter, you know, references on, <laughs> yes. on the first album. I will tell a very brief story, which is I was in a restaurant with a friend and it came on and we shouted out to the waitress, do you get a roll with it? That's the kind of silliness that was going on at the time. <laughs> that's that's how seriously I take Oasis. Ho, ho, ho. Such up for dad jokes. <laughs> oh, take me out of this dire situation. Who wants to pick a track? I'm going to go with um, Mob Marty. Okay. All right. So my second track was uh, Ocean Color Scene. And yes. Yeah. And, and there's lots and lots and lots of reasons why. To me, they are ultra mod. They play with Weller. The albums have been so diverse, a lot going on musically. I originally chose 100 Mile High City, but I think for these purposes, I'm going to choose The Day We Took the Train oh, yeah. because of its reference to Quadrophenia. I mean, blatant reference to Quadrophenia <laughs> and The Who. Yeah, like the, I write a song like the one that Jimmy heard the day he took the train, right? Absolutely. Let's play it out now because that's a great track. I, I like both your choices there, but it's a good, good change, last minute change. Let's play that one out. Never saw it as the start. Small change of heart. Rapping on the windows, whistling down the chimney pot. Blowing up the dust in the room where I forgot. I laid my plans in solid rock Stepping through the door like a troubadour While I'm just an hour away Looking at the trees on the roadside Feeling it's a holiday You and I should ride the coast Wind up in our favorite coast Just miles away
I love Ocean's Color Scene. You're right on there, Mod Mighty. They are the most, for me, the most mod Britpop band by a long chalk. But the way they dress, their music, the style, just the way they held themselves, the way they did live, absolutely fantastic. And um, I've been listening to quite recently, they've been doing acoustic sets, kind of Union Chapel and stuff, and they're yeah. absolutely amazing. And- Steve's been playing with Paul Weller for years, yeah. hasn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he played. He played with uh, P.P. Arnold. He's, oh. he's been he, writing for her. I saw her, saw him play guitar for P.P. Arnold. Brilliant. It was amazing. Brilliant. Let's go, Dan Under. Uh, I had the pleasure of um, interviewing the guys when they come to Australia, and uh, Simon Fowler is just the funniest man. He is just hysterical. Such a sweet, <laughs> sweet guy. Steve's um, very introverted, and it's tough to to get too many sound bites out of him. But um, Simon is just a, a cracking guy. Uh, Steve's a cracking guy as well. But Simon, yeah, he's just full of fun. Yeah, I'm straight up jealous of you now. Yeah, <laughs> I am. I am. I, they are truly. I used to watch them on. Is it um, TFI Friday? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I'm a massive fan, but. When I got into them, I don't know that myself or anyone else actually called them Britpop at all. You know, I feel like they were around in that time period, but at the same time, like we just thought we we liked this band that looked really cool. <laughs> yeah, they're a modern mod band as opposed to Britpop. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think there's quite a few bands that are in that category that kind of slip around the edges of Britpop, but do that. Yeah, Marty. There's something also that's been running around my head that I think. And correct me if I'm wrong in this, but one thing that denotes Britpop or had become very, very clear in the 90s with this music is that nobody tried to hide their accents anymore. Like there was a time when everybody from the UK, everybody sang in one particular accent or didn't have an accent, but then Britpop, they embraced their accents or in sometimes put them on even more in sort of the playful way that like the faces did or the kinks, you know, like they, they would put it on heavy to make a point, but Britpop bands sang in their accents. And that's part of what made it so appealing to me. It gave it a lot more of an identity as well. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And I think we, we've referenced this on previous episodes being men of a certain age, uh, you and I at the law board um, in, in Blighty, <laughs> That at, when Man- when Manchester came out, all of a sudden there were a bunch of people all of a sudden walking in a certain way and were man for it. Is that right, <laughs> Lord, Lord? Yeah, that wobbly walk. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to go to Manchester now, man for it. And I want to make this comment. There are possibly only two people in the in the history of the world with the name Tim who are cool. One is me, obviously. That goes without saying. And the other is um, Mr. Tim Burgess. Is that correct, Billboard? That is correct. Yes, Charlatans. Uh, so, the, so how how long did Britpop go? So, Blur, the first track I picked. There's no other way. 1991. This next track is 97. So, there's a good six years. Yeah, probably went up to 98, 99. I feel I feel yeah. the same. Yeah, 97, 98 is when it's kind of fading out, which is a long time for a, a movement, right? Oh yeah. I mean, the, the traditional mod thing was what three, four years or something. The the, the two tone scar thing was only a couple of years, really. So it was a long time in the sun. Uh, Charlatans, one to another. I just adore this track again. Saw this band oh, a few months ago. Just uh, I think it's from the Telling Stories album. 
Is that right? One to another? Yeah, just it, to me, it, it was a, a modern uptake of the traditional kind of 60s garage sound. You had that heavy bass, that heavy Hammond. It's almost a dance track, but it's still rocky. Tim Burgess is just a god on stage. He's just phenomenal. Even now, he's, he's again, a man of, of age, but uh, just looks and moves like a like a good one. So, yeah, just love this so much. I play it over and over again at gigs now.
fabulous song I, I love the charlatans I, I i remember when when they first came out it was kind of saying well they were kind of stone roses light because of the way they sounded and it was just a few years later but nah they are absolutely stunning what do you say king Curtis? well you know i equally i like the diversity of what they've done throughout their career you know they're a band that has faced a lot of hardship lost two members in their tenure as a band but one of the things that i particularly liked is that a few of their songs actually reminded me of that first track on Ogden's Nut Gone Flake that was just like that bit of like kind of psychedelic, but like doomed, doomed, doomed. Yeah. And, and, and it just, it, it really embraced a bit of that whilst also again realizing that they were a product of the nineties that had some dance elements that had some rock, you know, like they could play instruments and there was nothing contrived about them. I was fortunate. I got to, um, some years ago, I was doing this party for, uh, with Ben Sherman and uh, Bands FC, which oh, yeah. uh, Tim had something to do with. And we did it at the Ben Sherman uh, showroom and Tim and I were DJing and got to know him uh, a bit that day and, and had some really good conversations with him. And ironically, I'm going to be DJing with him and Andy Bell at the Charlatans Ride After Party on the 17th of January. Very nice. nice. So. Very nice. <laughs> which kind of brings us on to your last uh, pick, uh, King Curtis. <laughs> Mm, mm. This you've gone, you've gone so left field. Yeah. So you, you know. So again, I, I really wanted to try to see if you could kind of connect, like just the far ends of this. And I think for me, and you throw this name around, and a lot of people that were around during that period remember them, but a lot of didn't didn't listen. I'm referring to the Divine Comedy, and oh, right, and, and Divine Comedy was really quite interesting to me for a number of reasons. One, it was unlike anything that I had heard, other than the fact that by the time that I stumbled across Divine Comedy, I was already quite well into like you know your your Nouvelle Vague films. There was this incredible, just, I don't know, like a nostalgia that was present that I don't know how it was present because it just, it brought in elements of, of what I felt like were French, were Italian films, were all these things. And it was just incredibly cinematic that, you know, even bringing in like elements of what I kind of felt like were like Burt Bacharach style string arrangements and yeah. things like that. And, and to me, it was so far from anything else, but. There's a few that were obviously quite, you know, the ones that everyone would have thought, like National Express was was definitely like, I'd say probably Divine Comedy's biggest tune in that era. But I believe the album was 1996. There's a song called Being More Like Alfie. And interestingly enough, there's, <laughs> you know, there's obviously there's a sample from the film Alfie in the beginning of it. But there's just this, you just, again, you just feel like you're, you're wearing a, a nice suit and you're galloping through like imaginary places that to me, I don't know, there was just, it was just like the most modern thing I had heard at the time. And, and I could still pop that song on. I put it on the car this afternoon and I just said, man, what an amazing tune that is. Again, it's paying homage, but yet they were doing nothing that sounded like anything else. And let's I hear that it. track. Let's hear that track right now. 
Oh, you're turtled in? Right, we can begin. My name is... Once there was a time When my mind lay on higher things And once there was a time I could find pretty words to sing But now, well now I find Save time to say what you mean I know it seems so unrefined But it's time to let off some steam Oh, come on! Everybody knows that no means yes Just like glasses come free on the Divine Comedy. I got again that kind of. I, I like the Nouvelle Vague reference because it has got that kind of cheeky element to it, but it's got a lot of depth to it as well. And um, Marty, well, you're right too. It's also something that that people weren't listening to, right? Like it, they yeah. they were there, but they weren't as there as they should have been, perhaps. Right. No. I just, I wanted to make one note for a band and an album that I think needs to be mentioned, and that's Kula Shaker. K. Oh yeah. That was a vitally important album in the whole, and to bringing the Zitar sound and the psychedelic sound into the whole Britpop modern thing. Harry too. Krishna, man, Harry Krishna, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it, it, and and in such a perfect modern way, you know, in the same way, you know, that that bringing all of these elements in. Absolutely, in, no, I agree. I love I love Cooley Shaker. No, love Cooley Shaker. Lord Board. 
It, it's interesting you brought Cooler Shaker. Your um, reaction against Oasis, one of the blow up guys, Rich, Rich Blues, <laughs> his reaction to Cooler Shaker is similar to yours of Oasis. <laughs> the whole butterfly collecting thing, he's, uh, yeah, he's not good. Oh, well, it's good. I like Boys, that. We're 54 <laughs> minutes on. I wanted to bring in, uh, bring in the girls. So they were a massive part of Britpop, right? So oh, we had really? Elastica, mm-hmm. you had Sleeper, you had Echo Belly. There was a Catatonia. whole. Catatonia. Yeah, Catatonia. There was uh, a very, very strong movement i mean i think it was a different fashion sense as well there's a lot of androgyny in the haircuts and stuff like that but um those bands were just so so good echo belly well wow, i played them echo belly is my favorite oh, yeah. yeah my one of my uh left field choices for that was skunk and nancy in that time yeah. oh i thought we're all we were talking about androgynous looks absolutely yeah. fantastic yeah um well we're we're coming towards the end of this this episode i think we all agree it kind of fades out 97 98 99 uh but, but, but does it not leave? It doesn't, hold on a second, Mike. You, I, at the end of every episode, I say something, you would say, but. But, but. yeah, no, no, because I want to lead into something. Go, go, <laughs> lead, lead he's, me on. He's, he's building the segue for the next episode. Oh, lead oh. into bands like Franz Ferdinand and, you know, bands of the early 2000s. Yeah, yeah, followed the same trajectory, mm. and, and, which kind of begs the question, is it over? Did it end? It's, it's not. You look at the you look at the last Shadow Puppets first album, and yeah. it might be the most mod thing that came out in the last thirty years. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. I mean, maybe we'll look that look at that in the next episode. <laughs> yes. Mm. Maybe yeah. we will. But um, wow. <laughs> but no buts. Well, we decide what's in the next episode. But maybe we'll go to modern modernist. Right, like mm. modern modern modernism. That, that would be an interesting. I think so because I go think like. Yard act, right, Mr. Curtis Powers, and go, hmm, I've got, I like just the sound of that thing. I know they've got not a modernist look, but just the interesting nature of stuff. Men of North Country. Men of North Country. You know, like we got, we got so much that's happening right now. So I'm going to, I'm going to bring this one to an end, but I'm going to give us a bonus track because one thing we have, as, as the law board rightly pointed out, we'd, we'd skipped over the fantastic women stuff. One person we haven't really mentioned is his godliness, his modliness himself. Peter, the mod father. The mod father. And I'm going to, I'm going to say, although potentially he wasn't Britpop, was he, wasn't he? I don't know. He was all things. Is, I would is. say definitely. Yeah. When you think about Sunflower, you think about yeah. um, Stanley Rhodes. Yeah. A lot of that first stuff, yeah. solo album was super on that mod. So I'm, as as chairman of the board, as it were, as you know, HQ for the International Club, I'm going to play this episode out with a bonus track, which is I'm going to play Broken Bones from Stanley Rhodes, which oh, I love. Just a beautiful yeah. song, and although it's not that big jangly jangly sound, I think it's just suits. It's got a freeance about it. Well, I think we've talked about a lot of songs that aren't just jangly jangly, so we're yeah, okay. True, we can go with that. I, I just wanted to use the word freelance. as as Curtis had used mm. all these these words. I didn't really understand. Wow. Um, <laughs> I'm aware. So I'm I'm going to play that. I'm glad I could now. teach you all English today. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I teach the English. We're Canadian. Thank you, sir. Anyway, <laughs> I'm going to say goodbye to our guest, King Curtis Powers. Thank you for having me. I'm going to say goodbye to Mod Marty. Thank you, everybody. And I'm going to say goodbye from down under to the law board. Ciao, mate, and uh, happy holidays to everybody. And happy holidays from the Internationals Club. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode. See you soon, kiddos.
Like pebbles on a beach Kicked around, displaced by feet You have logged off from the Internationalist Club. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. 
That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code GLOW.